You see, Psalm 133 is one of 14 psalms called Songs of Ascent. They were ones that the Jewish people recited on their way to Jerusalem. They would go up three times a year, at Passover in the spring, at Pentecost 50 days later, and at the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. And you have to realize, we take vacations for granted, don't we? Most of us assume you get vacations. In that ancient world, vacations were rare. Nobody had second vacation homes. You didn't hop on a plane to go to the beach. The only vacations they had were actually these Jewish festivals. So if you were a kid in that day and age, you looked forward to Passover or Pentecost because not only your family, but every family in your neighborhood was going to start on a seven to ten day journey walking to Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? You would camp overnight and you might be, you know, 12 tenths down from your mom and dad because you're hanging out with your friends. It was one of the most celebratory, exciting, joyful times of the year, like mixing vacation and Christmas and a family reunion and all your best friends together. So when David writes how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, he has in mind this picture of a gathering of people that all know each other, all going to celebrate together, to relax together, to worship God together. But there's more as well. Think about some of the words that David uses in the psalm. In the psalm, we see some of the words that he pulls up here include that when brothers dwell together in unity, it's, it's good and pleasant. It's precious. It's like precious oil. It's like the dew of the Mount Hermon. It's a blessing. I don't have time to unpack all of these, but let me summarize what he's saying. When brothers dwell together nicely, lovingly, mercifully, gracefully, It's something that is good, which actually means complete. It's like the satisfaction of finishing a puzzle or a crossword. That satisfaction of a job that's done and you can lay it to rest. That's what Brothers Dwelling Unity feels like. Or it's refreshing, that dew of Hermon. It's refreshing, like getting to lay your head on the pillow after a really hard day. Or it's like the oil being poured on Aaron. Brothers dwelling in unity is something that is sacred. Now, I don't know what's sacred in your life. All of us probably have special things that we really prize, prize possessions. It might even be a letter or something a father gave you before he died. And you kids, I don't know if you guys remember this, but some of you might still have a favorite stuffed animal. When I was a kid, I had a a stuffed animal dog. It was yellow that was my favorite. It was my sacred possession. But I had something even more sacred than that yellow stuffed animal. It was my blankie. You see, I was one of these kids that had a blankie. I don't know if any of you kids have a blankie, but I was one of these kids with a blankie. I dragged that thing everywhere. I was like Linus, and I was a thumb sucker until I was like 36. And this blanket went with me everywhere. I could not fall asleep without it. It was the thing that gave me assurance and love and comfort. It's what I cuddled up to, and it, my thumb didn't taste right without the blankie tied into the hand. Of course, until the day when my grandmother, who decided I was much too old to be dragging this blanket around, told me that she threw the rag in the fire, not realizing what it was. I wailed and cried and hated her for a little while, but I eventually broke the habit of the blankie. But that was my sacred possession as a four- and five- 
six, seven, I don't know when I stopped, actually. <laughs> Brothers dwelling in unity is like a blankie for a little kid. And when he talks about brothers dwelling in unity, he doesn't mean siblings. He's talking about a wider and extended thing that most of us have never fully experienced. In the ancient world, you didn't talk about mom and dad and two or three kids. In the world of Psalm 133, you always meant the extended family. No one lived apart from grandparents, parents, and children. And usually your cousins, aunts, and uncles all lived on the same property. So within a couple of acres, basically on the same street, it's everyone you're related to living together. And then in the next street over was your next set of closest friends and their whole extended family. Those three generations, that extended family, that village mentality, created the kind of world where nobody was alone. Nobody was incomplete. Nobody felt isolated. Nobody lacked when things were going difficult. Everybody had ties to one another. And it was actually more possible to be naked and unashamed. Meaning, if you've ever seen cousins together, cousins are like best friends, especially if any of you have cousins who live nearby. My kids and their cousins all live nearby. Right now, Sarah, my wife, and our kids are down in Florida with her sister and their kids. And when cousins are together, it's like best friends who are also related, right? And the benefit of that is that you don't have to put up pretenses. You're not going to be embarrassed in front of your close cousins. You can come down in the morning with your hair disheveled in pajamas and not worry. If you showed up here, you would feel awkward. But in that ancient world, the wider community were all people who had seen you with your hair disheveled and in your pajamas. That's what Psalm 133 is talking about. And that is what is complete and refreshing and sacred and good and pleasant. And that's one of the things we're aiming for in a place like Christ Church Vienna. You know, in our vision and values... We talk about being a gospel-driven, externally-focused, extended-family Anglican mission for Vienna. But one of the pieces in there is to be an extended family. That is, I want a church like this to have some feel of an extended family of believers in Christ, like a family reunion where uncles and aunts and cousins and great-aunts and grandparents and children and, and nieces and nephews are all together. Not necessarily related by blood, obviously, but loving one another as an extended family. Having fun, developing deeper relationships, committed to one another. And as a result of that, experiencing, honestly, a taste of eternity. The sort of thing we really don't get to experience much in this world. And I think that the challenge for us is that it's very different than the world that most of us live in. You see, in that ancient world, in Psalm 133, being single or widowed or childless did not restrict your social connections, your relational fulfillment, 
or the benefits you receive from others or your obligations to them. But our challenge is who lives near their extended family? Who besides me? And in reality, even if you live near your extended family, you don't all live on the same street. You're not entwined in each other's lives the way that they were back then. But when Jesus comes along, do you know what Jesus does? He redraws family. And he says, family is those who come and follow me. So that even beyond bloodlines, actual cousins, you can have a community in any place in the world of people who are committed to one another like cousins and parents and nieces and nephews and grandchildren. If we develop something like that, we're going to have varying levels of closeness. Some of us are going to be closer to each other than others. There's going to be affinity that you're going to find. But if you could develop this sort of thing that they had back then, especially in the picture of Psalm 133, this would be the sort of place where no one lacks grandparents, even if yours have already passed on. Where those of us who are childless have many kids to make us smile and to care for. Where anyone in here who's an only child has multiple siblings. Where a divorced mom or a widower or a single guy doesn't feel incomplete like half a person. And also where no nuclear family, no mother, father, and kids is an end unto itself. We are made to exist for one another, to be committed to one another, to experience that joy. But there's a couple of challenges to that. One challenge is modern life. Modern life is transient. You know, people live in this area for two or three years and they move on. Most of us don't live in the same place for our our entire lives. We're also individualistic. And so we've taken away the idea of intimacy being relational depth and fulfillment and instead exchanged it for physicality. That the only way to really have intimacy is to be physical with somebody. We're missing out on relational depth that's possible out there. And even as a church, I think we've honestly overfocused on the nuclear family, divorcing it from this wider community that we're made to be a part of. Our relationships nowadays tend to be far too shallow and far too fragile. We need to be trees with deeper and wider roots. We need to recognize the theory of the phone book experiment. I need two kids up here. Can I have Cameron and Cole? You guys didn't raise your hand, so come on up. (laughs) Cameron and Cole, you guys look like strong young men. This right here, uh, Cole right here, Cameron over here. This right here is five pages of a phone book woven together kind of like the same number as in an average nuclear family, mom, dad, a couple of kids. Cole, can you grab this end right here? And Cameron, can you grab this end right here? And see if you can pull with all your might and pull it apart. Okay, that seemed to pull apart pretty easily. Can you tear it in half? Just rip it in half. Pretty strong, go ahead. Okay, you can set those down. Now I have here the Vienna Oakton um, phone book. It's only 200 pages on each book, so about 400 people, about the size of this church if everyone and all the kids showed up. Can you hold on to this side? And can you hold on to this side? Okay, go ahead and pull it apart. 
Go ahead. No, no, pull it, you got to hold better than that, I think. Go ahead and pull it apart. So why can't you pull it apart? Just keep pulling until you get it apart. Tell me when you have it. Um, so the, the difference between five pages interwoven and 200 pages interwoven, all you did was pull the cover off. <laughs> Try again. Individual pages are coming, and it's still, let me see here, it's still woven together. It's still two books bound together. Thank you, guys. Good job. When challenges come, when tragedy strikes, when you hit a downturn in the economy and your employment is fragile, when you are going through a mental breakdown, five pages is not enough. 400 is a little better. We are made to be entwined in each other's lives. It's why we gather for worship like this, why we do baptisms in a public place so we can all affirm and stand behind those people that are being baptized. It's why we call people into small groups so that over the course of several years, if you've been in six or seven small groups, you've gotten to know 80 people who now know you better. You've interwined, uh, intertwined your life. You've woven your life into more and more people's lives. It's why each of us needs friends. And honestly, kids get this a whole lot better than adults. Kids want to hang out with their friends. They want to play with their friends. A game of wiffle ball by yourself is not as much fun. Teenagers want to hang out with their friends on Friday night. The movie is not as funny by yourself. But as adults, we get separated and isolated when we're made to be entwined in one another's lives. We need each other. The second challenge is not just modern life with all of its transience and individualistic nature. The second is human sin. What gets in the way of any relationship? Selfishness and pride. Selfishness says, I'm in this for what I can get out of it, and I don't really want to be needed by other people. And pride we think of pride as arrogance, but you know where pride comes out relationally? It's if you're the kind of person who gets hurt, is defensive, is always walking around offended, if you're the kind of person who has the need to prove yourself, or if you have deep fears of embarrassment that restrict how you connect to other people. Pride and selfishness get in the way. Our sinfulness being broken from God causes us to be broken from one another. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. It's a story of two brothers who were not dwelling in unity. In the story of the prodigal son, the younger son takes his share of his father's money and goes to a distant land and squanders it. There he is in debt, starving to death. And you know, when the first people heard the story of the prodigal son, when the crowds were listening to it, do you know what they expected to happen? They expected the older brother to go after the younger brother. Any older brother who knew his father's love for the younger son, who understood his father and loved his father as much, would have sacrificed his own time and money to search far and wide 
left the home to search until he found the younger brother, used his own money to pay his debts and bring him back and restore him to his father. The prodigal son had a hateful older brother. What he needed was a true and loving older brother. Jesus, of course, was talking about himself. In order to be reconciled to one another, to have loving relationships with one another, we need to be reconciled with our father. We need the true older brother. We need Jesus, who has left his eternal home, to come and pay our debt, to come and restore us to our loving father so that we can love one another. The gospel says this, we are more sinful than we're willing to admit, which means I should be humble. I'm not better than anyone in here. I am more sinful than I'm willing to admit. But the gospel also says, I am more loved because of Jesus Christ than I dare to imagine, which should give me deep assurance and the ability to love and give without expecting anything in return. Do you want to be a mature human? Do you want spiritual growth, relational fulfillment? Do you want the good and pleasant and refreshing life? Do you want what it says in Psalm 133, a taste of life forever? We need each other, and we need Jesus. Let's pray. God, how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. But how much our modern life and our sinful hearts get in the way of this. Give us grace to grasp the God who loves us and sent his son for us that we might have the mercy and grace to extend to others. In Jesus' name, amen.